Grab your popcorn and silence those cell phones because the show is about to start. Rick and Nick Talk Flicks. Rick Blaine is an award-winning film critic featured on TheBigScreen.net.org and has been highlighted on over 75 unreleased independent film posters in less than 12 different countries. Nick Brown. He's been the high school projectionist for the AV Club for over nine semesters and can be heard nightly at the theater talking loudly in the row behind you about the film being screened. And now, they're joining forces. Ladies and gentlemen, Rick and Nick Talk Flicks. It's Rick and Nick Talk Flicks, back around once again, talking movies here on the podcast. I'm Joel Hoover. I'm Dave Brooks. Welcome back. It's time to start thinking about good times in the summer great indoors yes indeed we'll get a quick update on what's happening around the movie world here in just a moment before we get into our big topic of the day but we do want to remind you that rick and nick talk flicks is sponsored by the bemidji theater the bemidji theater the movie line is 218-444-6684 or you can go online to cectheaters.com and then you can go to showtimes by theater and then you can click on the Bemidji Theater right there to be able to get all the info that you need. The Bemidji Theater right here in town, located across from the airport here in Bemidji, and a great place to go to catch a movie. A lot of good films that are in there right now. Speaking of films and and what's going on in films right now, Dave, we'll get into that in just a moment. But first, we're, we're here again. again. Yeah, exactly. Something about you ever been driving somewhere and you're in a rush and you get to the train tracks, literally. And the train is coming, and it's in no rush to go anywhere. And it's not just that it's going slowly, but they're doing something with a track or something, and they have to switch it on to another track, so it has to back up, and traffic's backing up. Occasionally, yeah. It sounds like a perfect excuse to miss another podcast, and wouldn't you know it, that's what the phone call this morning was all about. There's a train. It can't. So they're stuck behind a train crossing, literally. And we got to get this thing recorded. So no Rick, no Nick, but you got their better half. It sounds like something almost out of a movie. How Rick and Nick are are getting themselves into these these situations. Soon they're going to be saying that they're being chased by a plane in a co- random cornfield out in Illinois. You know that's page thirty seven of that Christmas present I should never have given Rick. One hundred and one ways to get out of work with excuses that work every time. Actually, I was. I was going to to start quoting fifty ways to say goodbye by train <laughs> and start start making some some comments about the lines there. I, I think they're getting to that point where they have all these mishaps that are happening and they're they're practically making up excuses that are almost straight out of that song. You know, I think the better excuse and much more appropriate excuse would be, "Hey, we're in line at the movie theater and it's such a popular summer box office uh, season. We can't get in. We can't get out. We can't get in." So. Looks like they're stuck one way or the other. We certainly we certainly would not blame them if that had been the case as far as going to see Wonder Woman. Because yeah. let's take a quick look at the box office. Wonder Woman has been doing outstanding. Yeah. It, is it true, Dave? I, I had seen this that that it is the highest grossing of the DC films of the new universe that they've put together uh, in the second weekend. Well, that's not saying much, though. But that's well in the second weekend. Yeah, I suppose. that it's pulled in here this second weekend, and the reviews continue to be just off the charts outstanding. You know, and something else we can harken back to, I'd gotten some info many several podcasts ago that early indications from behind the scenes were like, this could be bad. Whether that's true or whether it wasn't, whether it was a case of, say, filming Back to the Future with Eric Stoltz, and they realized, we got to fix something, and they did, and certainly Back to the Future went on to be a hit. If there was issues going on, clearly whatever they were, they fixed it. And uh, reviews are fantastic. The box office is fantastic. Now two weeks, number one in a row. Uh, and that's fantastic. So you go, Wonder Woman. Absolutely. I, I am still very much looking forward to going to see it. I have it in mind to go see it. I've had a pretty busy two weeks. I haven't seen though, it either, but I've but, heard amazing things. But it just continues to do outstanding. The Mummy opened this past weekend, lukewarm $32.3 million that it pulled in. Uh, we're going to talk something related to The Mummy coming up here for our main topic today, um, but that was that was the one that followed up. Coming out this week, Cars 3 is the main one that's coming out here this week. Uh, Transformers The Last Night is not too far away, either June 21st, so that'll be next week that that's going to be uh, coming out uh, at this point, um, but... It's off to an okay start here with summer movies, but uh, Wonder Woman continues to be the big one here. Guardians of the Galaxy is still holding really firm at number five in the yeah. overall the overall rankings at the box office. I've been out so. for a month already. Exactly. That's got to be good signs. 
comic book movies, man, they're still doing a killing at the box office. We had talked about this a couple of pod episodes ago. It's still working out pretty well for them. Comic book movies aside, it's got to be a good movie. I don't care what exactly. the genre is. If it's a good movie, people will see it. People will hear that it's actually a pretty good movie. Then you put out something that's not so good. I don't care what genre it is. People aren't going to see it once they know it's money not well spent. Today, speaking of doing it well. Yes, speaking of doing it well. Today's topic and, and what we're going to get into is is going down the road of remakes. We talked about um we we've talked about s- several different topics in films and films that that maybe go down the same path again, that tread the same path again. We've we certainly discussed that a little bit when talking about this summer's movies that are coming out and the remakes, the reboots, the sequels, um, sequel Palooza 2K17, basically. Yeah. Um, but there's, but it's also reboots that have that have become very common and remakes. And this isn't just a modern phenomenon, Dave. We'll, we'll get into some of the the good, okay, and bad remakes that have been out there. But when I look at some of the the years behind some of these. This has been a common thing. It, it seems to be more and more common today, and yet it is pretty common that remakes and reboots have happened throughout the course of film history, maybe more so back in time for, for different reasons as far as like black and white versus color and talky versus silent, but it's it's been around. Yeah, I think there's a couple of different sort of remakes, and not to try to list them all down. But some things are part of a property or a franchise that are bigger than the sum of its parts. Take Batman, for example. I mean, Batman goes back to the 30s in the comic books. They had done TV shows. They had done uh, all kinds of iterations. Uh, Tim Burton brought Batman into the modern age in 1989. Uh, Christopher Nolan has gone from there. Now you got Justice League. Is that necessarily a Batman, or, or is it a remake necessarily, or is it just another edition, another chapter of a long-running book that is the Batman franchise? And then there are things like, say, um, Poltergeist came out in the early 80s. Great movie. Had a couple of sequels. Then they remade it. Correct. Why? Why did they remake it? Why not another sequel? And the, and the remake wasn't any good either. So you have to ask yourself, There are why? several horror films you can say oh, for, that, yeah. for that. Yeah. And some of them are, and there's another one. You could talk another horror movie that's actually getting a little bit of buzz right now. They're still filming it. Uh, it's not necessarily a re- well, maybe it's not a remake. It's probably not the right word. It's sort of a sequel, Halloween, another iteration to the Halloween movies. But what I'm hearing is, and they're filming it right now, and I've heard indications they're using some of the original locations to film. Whether that's true or not, I don't know. But it's not necessarily a remake as much as it is a sequel that's going to ignore other sequels and it's going to follow Halloween 2. And just ignore everything that ha- if that makes any sense to you, I know it's a- it's going to change the trajectory of the plot, is what you're saying. You know, after Halloween two, plot is a very loose word. That's very true. <laughs> that is very true. But the big question that you pose, Dave, and it is the question that comes with remakes, is why? Why are they made? And I, I thought about that as we came up with this topic that we were going to discuss for today, and it did come to mind and, and occur to me: why are remakes made why go down the same path again why in some cases would you try to take a gamble on remaking a film that maybe in in certain cases has a place in film folklore for all time and you would have a crack at trying to remake that and we'll mention a couple that are like that but why make them there there are some good reasons behind them but i i wanted to throw it out to you first and and see why are they made well Two reasons I can think of off the top of my head, and one of them, which is the bad reason to do them, is, and you can't see this on a podcast, rubbing your fingers together, money. Oh, this movie did so good back in 19-whatever when it first came out. That lightning could happen again in this bottle. Let's do it again. Mm-hmm. So like Poltergeist, why would they remake Poltergeist? It was such, I wouldn't say that Poltergeist was a sacred cow necessarily, but it was done so well. Why do it again? Well, we can make money. We're going to open up our film category library because we can't come up with original ideas. So we're going to bring out stuff we've done before. And that's not the right way to go. I want to piggyback on that with with two points that that I did some research on. And actually, they made a lot of sense when I was reading into this a little bit. The one, this was this was from Vulture.com when they were writing about a couple reasons why Hollywood still does remakes. The one that they put forth, and I never really thought about this before, is that shareholder and investor appeasement is very important with, with those movies. Yeah, with I know you're rolling, rolling your, my eyes. You're rolling your eyes at that, but the but the big time film studios, they need 
they need assurance a little bit as far as the shareholders. When they're going to go into the meeting room and say, we're going to put out this big-time remake of, for instance, Ben-Hur, that might perk them up a little bit and say, okay, we'll, we'll get behind that. We'll back that as far as finances because maybe that'll have a shot. We'll talk more about Ben-Hur and, and that in particular instance in, in a little bit. But it, it's appeasement with the assurance of a big-name movie that's on the way and the chance of getting a big-time box office draw with that big remake. When, when they put The Mummy together, I'm sure that was part of it, was saying, hey, we're, gonna, we're going to go back and tread this path again, and we think that this might be able to draw in some cash. The fact that we've got the mummy brand that we're going to try to draw upon. And and that can appease the investors. The second thing, too, and, and this was an interesting one that the uh, the Washington Post listed off, was that there are for, there's foreign revenue to be made in markets that previously may not have shown the original. Take Ghostbusters, for instance, another movie that we will discuss a little bit later on. Ghostbusters, when it was originally released, and I need to find this particular point of, of the article here. Yeah, in 1984, less than 20% of its revenue came from foreign viewers at that time. But the new one, the 2016 one, more than 40% of its ticket sales were foreign at the time that this article was written. Six million of those sales came from Russia. Neither version of the film was screened in China, but Russia... That there's one instance where you can pull from a foreign market that maybe previously didn't have a, an opportunity to to be screened when when it was back in its previous iteration. So you're drawing upon markets that maybe previously didn't get a chance to to sort of have that um, that opportunity to see the movie. They also listed a sequel, but it was also kind of a reboot, Independence Day Resurgence, where it which pulled a lot of money from China and a lot of money from Russia, two places where the 1996 version of the movie was not screened. So you're getting into these foreign markets that maybe have an opportunity for you to make some cash off of. Well, that's from the studio perspective, and I can give you a parallel, and I don't want to go too far down the rabbit hole here, but why do we go see movies? I don't go this. Let's give Hollywood some money. I don't think about it at that point. You right. give me some reason to go that I want to see, and hopefully it's going to be a good response. Then I'm happy to have chunked over some change to Hollywood. I don't care about their bottom line. And here's the parallel insurance companies. What is the real goal of an insurance company? We got your back. When things go wrong and your house ends up underwater or in the San Andreas Fault, we got your back. So when you realize that somebody that's on a cancer plan comes down with cancer and you cancel their plan, cancel their cancer plan, if you can follow that, well, you're not exactly getting their back. So when you're thinking about movies, what is the goal here? Are you trying to make money? Of course you are. Some money is going to be made correctly. Some is not. Some movies will bring in the money and some might lose that money. But what is the ultimate goal? To entertain the people. If, right. you, if you're going to put together something that's just schlock, but you know people are going to pay their money only then to find out that they, ha-ha, gotcha. People are going to wise up. And if you're a shareholder and an investment holder in a theater company and we're going to remake this movie, at some point you got to start thinking, why? Can't we just do something good? Here's a couple of others, and this also pertains to money. Cheaper preparation. You don't have to put as much thought into putting together a story when you've already got a source material to and draw it upon. Shows it does. You know? Oh, it does. We will definitely get into some of those examples. A lot of movie ideas are based off of other things yep. these days and, and unoriginal source material. And then there's also the notion of rebooting and resetting a franchise and a new opportunity to display it in a new light. Spider-Man is a prime example of that, of rebooting a previous idea and putting it forth in a new way with a new got main guy. I mean, heck, they're doing it for a second time now that they're rebooting it coming up here in just a few weeks. But like, you know, what we talked about earlier, just to kind of expand on it, there's a lot of different types of remakes. Some of them are like Spider-Man, Batman. These are properties that go way back. It's like James Bond. There is no one James Bond. There's been about 15 different people to play the role of James Bond. It just keeps, it's the next chapter, the next reinvention, and it's going to continue forever and ever. That's fine. It's hard to really classify it as a remake when you can't point to any original thing and say right. this was the original. There isn't one, even unless you're going to go back to the comics of 19-whatever. Can't do it. So that's one class. Another one is something completely original, like Ferris Bueller's Day Off. You that's know, right. It, there doesn't exist before the movie. So any iteration beyond that is going to be a remake of an original property. That's a pure remake, pure and simple. Sequels don't count. 
Reboots, well, you have to kind of yeah. look at the nuances to whether you're going to know. And then there's, of course, the theater chains that say, hey, we're just going to remake this movie because we can't. Yep. That's where RoboCop came in. That's where Poltergeist came in and many others. Um, can they be done well? And what makes, well, that might bring us to our next question. Why do a remake? You know, And are there sacred cows that shouldn't be touched? Absolutely on both. You know, you absolutely should do some remakes, and then there's some you should never, ever, 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 ever touch, and some real bad examples of ones that they have not learned that lesson. Before we start to go into a list of some of those, we do want to remind you that Rick and Nick Talk Flicks is sponsored by the Bemidji Theaters here some of in the Bemidji. Finest remakes being made today can be seen on their screens. That's right. At the Bemidji Theater, you can see some of those remakes, some that are coming very soon, and we'll get into some of those here in a little bit. But let's go through some some good remakes, some okay remakes, and some bad ones. And then as we go along, let's discuss what makes some of these work and what makes some of these not work so okay. well. Good remakes. The, the first one that comes to mind for me, mainly because it, it, if you listen to the show and you've listened especially to the first episode of the show, you know that this is in my top five of movies, is Ocean's Eleven. That's that's one remake that I felt worked extremely well, um, and, and I can point out some specific reasons why, but I, we'll get into them when we talk about some of the reasons why remakes work. But it was just super slick, a very different kind of adaptation from the 1960 Rat Pack caper uh, that they put together. But another big-time cast that they had, they put them into their own unique situation. They put their own unique twist on it with uh, the addition of Julia Roberts' character and, and the role that she played. But it was just a super slick remake of an original that worked out very well and so well that it spawned two sequels oh, yeah. off of it as well. It's hard to even classify it as a complete remake. It is. But it's you know a remake almost implies it's the same more than just the basic outline of a plot. There's right. a lot of specific elements. The original Ocean's Eleven from 1960, whatever, and the Danny Ocean with George Clooney version, they're very, very different movies. Which and is not, great, because you can watch each one on yeah. their own, and you can enjoy each one for what they are. Yeah, so could you almost consider it a reboot or a remake? Hard to say, you yeah. know? But that's, yeah, there's no sacred cow about Ocean's Eleven, the original, but the new one maybe has become a sacred cow, and they're actually remaking that with a gal version. Did you know that The Departed is a remake? Yeah. Yeah, Internal Affairs, which was really big in Hong Kong back in 2002. The Departed was was based off of that with uh, with Scorsese putting that one together in 2006. I mean, it did incredibly well, of course, and and won uh, several Oscars, but was actually a remake. And and boy, was it a, a very good one. Although I don't think Internal Affairs had the same kind of pull in the states, or or at least reach in the states as it did, especially overseas in Hong Kong. But The Departed was another example of one. Yeah. The Magnificent Seven yep. was the. I'm talking about the 1960 version. We'll get into the other one here the in a little Brenner, bit. Yeah, yeah, the the Yul Brenner one with uh, Steve McQueen as well. That was a remake off of a, a movie called Seven Samurai yeah. that it, that had come out in 1954. The Magnificent Seven drawing a lot uh, from that, but the 1960 version uh, a classic in the uh, in the Western sense and also as far as the. Um, the the soundtrack that it put together with the theme, of course. I don't know if you could almost classify the 60s Magnificent Seven as a remake. Now, clearly they remade it a couple years ago. That would be a straight-up remake. But Seven Samurai is, I mean, call it a adapted from source material movie. I think that's a good way of describing something like that. Yeah. So if you look at it that way, Die Hard is based off of a book, you know, mm -hmm. and a lot of things are based off of some source material, whether it's directly or not directly. Um, Seven Samurai is its own thing, very, very similar to Magnificent Seven, but I don't know if you can quite, I don't know if I would classify it as a remake. Then perhaps you would take the same line of thinking into the next movie, and that's A Fistful of Dollars from 1964, which was based off of, very strongly based off of a movie called Yojimbo, which was in 1961, um, and it was, uh, it was a, basically A Fistful of Dollars in samurai form is what it was, but it was very close to that. In fact, Akira Kurosawa, who is the director of Yojimbo, he created a successful lawsuit against Sergio Leone for the, the source material, which he felt was very very, very close to his film. And then, of course, Leone came out with, with a fistful of dollars for, uh, for Clint Eastwood and, and putting that together. Um, but that, another where you could say adapted from source material, if not totally a remake, and yet there were close enough elements that it created a lawsuit. Yeah, but I mean, think about it. Just look, go down the rabbit hole of romantic comedies. 
every one of those is going to be a lawsuit because they're all very much similar. Boy and girl meet. One of the two does something stupid. You know, whether they yep. they rescue the party or they give a mistaken identity, they have to find a way to get past it and then they kiss at the end. Find me a romantic comedy that in some way, shape, or form does not go down that role. It's true. Pretty much yep. every romantic comedy that was ever even dreamed up of on a cocktail napkin is going to be a remake under those guidelines. It's just trying to find your own Yeah, your take own on it. Your own spin one. on it. Yep. So some of them, when I'm thinking remakes, I'm thinking direct remake. You know, source material is awesome, but you, you got to give you get a little leeway there. Well, here's another one then that would be truly a remake. True Grit yeah. from 2010, which was a very, very successful one commercially. Both of, both of them. And as far as revenue. Yeah, and the original 1969 had been very good as well, the John Wayne one. Here's a movie we're going to mention quite a bit here today. A Star is Born from 1954, which there's been a couple iterations, and like I said, we'll get into that in a little bit. 1937 had been when the first one came out. 1954, the Judy Garland one Mm -hmm. made her very, very successful. Of of course, she already was. Yeah, she had a little back history before that one. (laughs) Yeah, a little bit. Yeah, that was, as far as starting to step into some of her older film roles, that was was one of the big ones. Um, Sherlock Holmes, in some ways, that, that was a reboot, bringing that back again here with uh, with Robert Downey Jr. Well, and back, Jude Law. Back real quick to *Star Is Born*. You know they're remaking it again. Well, we're Late, go- like Lady I said, Gaga, we'll get yeah. into that here a little in a little bit. Yeah, we'll, definitely because it's happened a couple of times over, and we'll we'll discuss that in a little. Yeah, but Sherlock Holmes, you were saying? Yeah, Sherlock Holmes. That'd be that'd be technically a, a reboot, probably right with with a new, a new I would, iteration. I would lump it in with the Batman Superman. It's a, from a source yep. that is greater than the sum of its parts. So yeah. this is just the next chapter and the next iteration. And they're not doing the Robert Downey Jr. or Sherlock Holmes anymore. It'll come around again. You've already got Benedict Cumberbatch doing it on the small screen or had been. Mm-hmm. And there will be other iterations. How many actors can you think of in one breath that are really good actors that have done Sherlock Holmes? Quite a few. Yeah. Yep. It's, it's it's hard to really classify it as a remake when there's... It's so never Ian McKellen done. was the most recent. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I don't think there's a way you can give you an original source that's not the novels by Arthur Conan Doyle. Yep. I don't think you can do it. So if you can't do it, it's hard to classify it as a full remake. Yeah, I had Batman Begins listed here as well. Any other good ones that, that maybe I didn't mention, Dave, that you really consider to be good remakes or ones that worked? I think there are some that um, remakes are real tricky. If you're going to do it, you better do it right. And f- nine out of ten, I c- honestly can't think of a great, what I would classify as a remake. Yeah. Now, I can think of some good reboots. And we'll get into reboots here as we go, where you uh-huh. take the same idea, spin it somewhere different, go a completely different way to the point where the bare bones of it are pretty much the same. But it goes off enough to the point to start this whole new thing that reboot would probably be more appropriate. Here are some okay ones, and we can debate how okay they were or not. King Kong from 2005. The 1933 one is considered one of the great films of all time. Very innovative for its time there. In 1933, and they were able to do all that they did, especially with Kong himself and and making him so very effective as far as the movement and motion capture that they had for that. The 2005 version, obviously, with, with Peter Jackson fueling that, a lot more CGI that they were able to do. That is a long movie as yeah, well, a very long movie, but there were elements of it that still worked. There were others that maybe weren't quite as powerful or were a little more overblown, but King Kong was definitely one that came to mind that was good in some respects, maybe not quite as good in others, and that's very hard because you are going up against the unassailable there as far as yeah. the history of the original King Kong. Well, King Kong is another example. He's more than the sum of his parts. If you watch any given King Kong movie or King Kong versus movie, well, this is what King Kong's all... No, he's more than just any watching the movies. If you watch yeah. every King Kong movie that ever was, you're still not quite getting the full breadth of the Kong character because he's more than the sum of his parts. Well, now they are coming out with... Uh, well, they had Kong Skull Island and, and yeah. starting to get more into They're doing some of the backstory. Kong versus Godzilla or something like that? Yep, starting to go that route. Monsters versus monsters. Yeah. yeah. Speaking of Godzilla, that was another... Okay, remake. It did all right back in 2014 um, after the the 1998 version, which, depending on who you ask, was either great or campy, uh, depending on who you talk to about that. But that was another one that was just okay. Yeah. Just all right. Here's a, here's a very interesting one. Um, Charlie and the Chocolate Factory versus Willy Wonka. 
and the Chocolate Factory. What did you think of that remake? First of all, I never saw the remake because oh, I, really? didn't, I didn't really like the original that much. Really? And, and people have a great affection for the, the Wilder version. And it is a it is its own thing. I've seen it a couple of times. I don't really like it that much. Okay. To me, it's like a children's horror movie. And it's just so... Oh, you, you would be fascinated, well, maybe creeped out by the Tim Burton version. Yeah, <laughs> I, I know about it. I, I I know some of the things that are coming up about it. But, I mean, if I wasn't all that enthralled with the first one, I'm not all that drawn to see the second one. Fair enough, definitely. And there's nothing wrong with it. It's just, it's way out there. It's very psychedelic. It's just very, it's just not my flavor. Then you would probably think that they doubled down on the 2005 version, which was the opinion that I had when I saw it. I I thought basically that they had doubled down on the original as far as some of the more psychedelic and and strange elements of of the story. So We'll put it to you this way. If if the Wilder character was somebody that I'd met in real life, I think he's interesting. You know, weird but interesting. mm -hmm. If I'd met the Johnny Depp version of the Willy Wonka character – and I had my children around, I would pull my children away. He is creepy. You know, he's like Michael Jackson running a chocolate factory. Get away from him, kids. Don't even look at him. Get in the car. Shut up. Get your stuff. Get your sister. Get in the car. Let's go. <laughs> I'm not going to go pay money for that. But that's just me. Everyone got their own taste. Here's another one that was that was an okay remake, and despite having a pretty big-time cast, they were going up against a movie that had done pretty well, and I'm talking about High Society from 1956, which was a remake of the Philadelphia story with Cary Grant oh. and James Stewart and Katherine Hepburn from 1940. They brought it back around again in 1956 with Bing Crosby and Grace Kelly and Frank Sinatra. And they added a lot more singing to that one, but it wasn't quite as good as the Philadelphia story had been. Still still pretty good and with some big timers who were in there. And Plus, I, I believe that was one of the last films Grace Kelly did before, becoming, uh, before taking on her duties in Monaco. Monaco. But still... The proof that remakes were still around even back in the fifties. Remakes are going to go are going to be around forever and a day. I mean, they never really started at any point unless you go back to the time of the jazz singer, the first movie ever made. At some point, the jazz singer will be remade. You know, every, the remakes go way back, but it has become a bit of an epidemic lately. Go back to the nineteen eighties, for example. Were there remakes then? Absolutely. Were they as prevalent as they are today? No. I mean, every nope. every given month, yeah. there's going to be some sort of a re-something in a theater at any given time, guaranteed. So, more of an epidemic these days. couple more okay ones. The Italian Job from 2003. Again, putting a newer yeah. spin on something from the past, much like Ocean's Eleven. Did all right back in 2003. The 1969 one was what it spun off of, what, was what Very it reboot, yeah, remade from with, um, with Michael Caine. Ghostbusters was another one. Did pretty okay. well. That's going up against tough source material, though, and, and stuff that's that's been very good. Here are some of the bad ones. But some of the, uh, with Ghostbusters, I'll cut you off real quick. Ghostbusters wasn't so much of a remake as it was a, a parallel universe sequel, or whatever you want to call it. Kind of, yeah. Because it's not like it disregarded anything that had happened before, and pretty much all the surviving cast of the original Ghostbusters, with one or two exceptions, they didn't play their old characters, but they showed up in it. Right. So it's like they gave it their stamp of approval to some regard. It was, and it wasn't like it had never happened before. There were little nods to the original. In a so way. it kind of played off of yeah. both a little bit. Sort of a remake, sort of a parallel universe A hybrid. Yeah. I don't know how to describe it, but I don't think remake is quite appropriate. Reboot isn't com- probably a better appropriate terminology. I can't come up with a good one, but... It, it was its own thing. It and called upon elements, though. Yeah, it, it was its own thing. It was okay, yeah, but it wasn't special, and it wasn't. You know, they had a great cast. You know, there's no reason why that movie shouldn't have been great. But some of the, some of the blowback that it got just because it was an all girls Ghostbusters was, you know, truth be told, sickening. You know, right? Some if you know about some of the behind the scenes stories, it was just was wrong. Yeah. So. Here are some remakes that probably never should have been thought of. Ben Hur, for instance, yeah. which I saw the trailer for, and I was just I I was shaking my head watching the trailer. I think I saw it first before the Super Bowl um, last year, and I I just was shaking my head, going, "What are they thinking? Remaking one of the great films in history, one of the great film spectacles in history? What are you doing?" And it it promptly flopped then at the box office. Some things should not be reattempted, and not necessarily because you can't do a good job on it. I'm sh- I haven't seen the new Ben-Hur. 
I'm sure that all in all, it's not a bad movie, but I think right out the gate, people weren't going to give it a chance because you can't beat Charlton Heston. Right. I'll give you a perfect example of when a movie shouldn't be done. Uh, when it's been done so well the first time, to try to redo it is just gone wrong. Go look at 1960s Psycho. And then they remade it in 1998 with Gus Van Sant, where not only did Vince he not- Vaughn was, was not, yeah. in there. Yep. Not, I'm not saying that the characters weren't done. I'm not saying it wasn't done with a labor of love. But if you're going to do a remake, here's one of the first rules in the Bible of remakes. You better bring something new to it while honoring the original. What they did with Psycho, the remake, it was literally shot for shot. That's exactly right. Exactly the same movie, the same camera angles, the same everything. You watch the trailer and you see that. All I saw was the trailer for it with, with Vince Vaughn, obviously, and there's Norman Bates. And I was I was stunned at how similar it looked. It was exactly similar. I'll tell you another thing about it. You know, If you've ever gone to Universal Studios Hollywood, the Psycho House, the, the prop house they built, is on, still on a hill, still exists to this day. When they did that remake, they built another Psycho House directly in front of it so that you couldn't see the original Psycho House. So in that remake, right behind the one that you see is the original one, and that's how close it was. At some point, if you're going to think about doing a remake, you better have, A, a good reason, B, you better bring something new, and C, if you're going to redo a sacred cow, just walk away. You're already getting into some of our wire, uh, what makes them good and what makes them I not so good. Thoughts. And that was a perfect that was a perfect example there. Here are some others. Around the World in 80 Days from 2004. Nowhere near the 1956 version, which had a, a stellar cast and a stellar cameo cast that was added to it. An amazing scenery and setting that they had to it. It was filmed beautifully as well. And then they make it just this goofy, campy kind of remake that they put together in 2004. Sorry, Jackie Chan. It just was not very good. Planet of the Apes in 2001, same thing. You're going up against history yeah. there with the 1968 version. Basically, don't remake any film that Charleston Heston was in. That's not going to go over too well for you. I think they could do good with Earthquake, though. That There'd be potential there. There'd be a little room. But then there's you bring up another interesting point, because you did the Tim Burton Planet of the Apes. Well, now they've got the rise of the Planet of the Apes, war of the Planet of the Apes. You know, not necessarily a remake as much as it is the prequel backstory That's reboot. Right. It's, it's a hybrid prequel thing. reboot. I yeah. think is really the best way to put it. And those and have these been are great. working. These are working. Yep. So it's not that you can't do it, but then again, they're not remaking the original yep. version. The new Magnificent Seven was was another bad idea as well, and they they tried to double down on the action elements of the Magnificent Seven. Did not work out. The Pink Panther, they tried to double down on the goofiness when they had that in 2006. Mm. Not a very good movie, though, and nothing like the, the 1963 one, which had a great ensemble cast to it. Did you know the original Pink Panther? Peter Sellers mm. was not necessarily the star of that. It was it was centered around many yeah. of the different actors and actresses who, who made up that movie. It uh, changed as his performance became so iconic. The yep. focus was all about him. It became on Inspector Clouseau, yeah. And... I'm calling it back again. A Star is Born, which was remade a second time in 1976 to terrible reviews, especially of Barbara Streisand's performance as she and Chris Christopherson uh, were in that one. And it was a, a newer take on A Star is Born. I think they tried to go the rock route with that one a little bit more. Did not work by comparison to the last one. And when we look at the upcoming ones, obviously The Mummy is out right now. We've got Spider-Man Homecoming, which is more of a reboot that is on the way later this summer. As far as ones that are coming up, did you know that they are remaking, that there's plans to remake All Quiet on the Western Front? I've heard that. Which is which is one of the classic films of the early, early film era. And then A Star is Born, yet again, is being remade for a third time in 2018, Lady Gaga and Bradley Cooper are going to be at the center of that one as they go down the A Star is Born route once more. With a fourth film, a third remake, I can hardly believe I'm saying that. Well, you said, there are times where I don't think there's any one iteration of A Star is Born that would be sacred cow status. Oh, the title, sure, everyone knows A Star What about the Born. Judy Garland one, though? You know, it's a good movie, but I don't think it's iconic status. You know, I just don't think that it is. It certainly is one that made an impression. It probably did it the best. Mm -hmm. But I don't think it still reached iconic status. So they remake it again, they remake it again, they remake it again. Could it be redone? 
Absolutely it can. It's not the kind of thing when you hear it's being remade unless you really look into it and you realize, really, this is the fourth time. It's like, this is his fourth marriage. Maybe you should just give it up. It's not like that. you know. If they were going to redo A Sacred Cow, and maybe that should be what we talk about, when do you just walk away immediately if you are smart at all? Well, let's get into some of what makes them work and not. But first, we want to remind you, Rick and Nick Talk Flicks is sponsored by the Bemidji Theater. We're very pleased to have the Bemidji Theater on board as the sponsor of the podcast. Here's what I think makes them work, Dave. One thing that's very important is you have to find your own slice of originality mm-hmm. compared to the the template. Psycho totally was an agree. example of, of how to go the complete opposite direction of that and try to do it shot for shot, step for step. That's not going to work. You've got to find your own originality. That's what made Ocean's Eleven work so well from the way that you compare it to the Rat Pack one. You, you would say that they were two totally different movies with the exception of the fact that there's... Las Vegas, and there's a guy named Danny Ocean. Otherwise, it is totally different with the way that the film was put together and the way that they arranged the plot and everything. So you have to find your own slice of originality. One solution to this is portraying the film in a different presentation format, and Disney is going this route with a lot of the live-action films that they are starting to do. Beginning with Beauty and the Beast and and The Jungle Book, they're doing these live-action films of the old cartoon movies that they have, and they've got more that are on the way in the near future. That's another way that, even though it might be a quote-unquote remake, you're still doing it in a different presentation format. That's one solution that you can have. Another would be find a new slice of originality that the old iteration did not have and try to make it good. Yeah. Um, but you're talking about, say, Beauty and the Beast, for example. Was it a Disney creation? No. It was an old fairy tale that goes way back from whenever. Um, Disney did a version of it. Um, right. I think Snow, I, I, I may be speaking out of turn here. I'm not sure if Snow White was a Disney creation or if it had a backstory. I don't remember to tell the honest truth. But if you got something that's source originality is way back when, and maybe through folk tales or through fairy tales or something else, and everyone does their take on it, it's hard to really classify it as they've already done it well the first time, leave it alone, rather than, you know, is it an iteration of an adapted source and then they did it better the next time and then they got it really well done. At some point, you got to say, leave it alone. But yeah, there are ways that you can absolutely do it, but, you know, Beauty and the Beast, it goes way back if they redo little mermaid yeah well that's clearly a disney creation and then you know if you're gonna do it completely different sure i guess we're talking about it in strictly the film sense i suppose with with the remakes and reboots by the way snow white and the seven dwarves is based on the german fairy tale by the brothers Grimm. okay yeah see fairy tales here i'll give you a good example of what you just brought up the wizard of oz all right everyone knows the movie from the late 30s it's the judy garland version it is the end all be all um, but it's based on a book, remember? Right. Uh, Baum wrote the books, the various version of the Oz books, and that was one of them. They've adopted a couple others. Um, but The Wizard of Oz itself, it lives on in a lot of different forms anyway. I mean, anybody that's listening to this podcast either went to or was in a high school musical for Wizard of Oz at some point, you know, right? Uh, how many TV versions have they done of it? Yeah, sure. If you're going to remake The Wizard of Oz, as we remember it for the 1930s, you are going might as well jump into lava, you know, because you're going to have just as much success. Now, if you want to adapt a different Oz book, you know, the Disney had done a really dark version. I don't know if you've seen it. Return to Oz came out in the mid 80s. Was supposed to be a sequel to The Wizard of Oz. Right. It's, it's dark and scary. Plus, they then went a different route recently with James Franco yeah. with Oz the Great and Powerful, yeah. focusing on just the wizard. Yeah. But it, but it wasn't a remake of The Wizard of Oz. It was a take. If it didn't uh, completely adapted book, it took some elements from the books, and that's what you should do if you want to go back to Oz. Do that. Yep. Uh, do like the James Bond novels, where very rarely when they were redoing the novels, they don't redo the novels all that faithfully. Some they do, most they don't. They'll take a few elements and they'll do their own thing. So it's got some originality and some adaption to it. And so if you're going to do a Wizard of Oz or an Oz book, do that. Do not touch the sacred cow that is the 1938, I think, original. That's right. Here's another thing, too, Dave. A lot of the remakes that have worked have been remakes of movies that were sleeper or niche films yeah. in their previous iteration or that were foreign as well, especially some of the ones that, that I mentioned, some of the Western ones. Those were based off of foreign ones. Now they were bringing them into an American audience and a very specific target there. And 
you try to find your own you try to find these niche films or the sleeper films that did okay and then and then bring them into a new light or into a new type of setting you know like a couple of these certainly you know Ocean's 11 came to mind with that um a fistful of dollars was one that that used an old iteration in that was done overseas and then worked off of that um you know the departed same same kind of thinking that went into that these these niche films that you can put into a completely new light yeah but you, then again, the original source, was it a sacred cow? Is it the kind of thing where everybody held it on a palace, yeah. or on a pedestal, rather, and there, you can never do it better than this? If you can't answer, yes, we can, to that, then again, jump into the lava lake. You it know, might just be too much to overcome. Even if you've got a director, and this was another point that I that I had for what makes them work, having a director that can balance source material well, along with good ideas, original ideas, and is a good storyteller, Sometimes you might have all of those elements with who you have putting it together, but it's just too tall of a mountain to climb. Well, a really good example you brought up about foreign things. Uh, we'll bring it to TV real quick. The Office. If you know the show, you know it was a British show. That's right. Back in the day, that was very much like the American version. They just Americanized it and they brought in an American cast, and it became one of the better. And American hits. humor as yeah, well, because exactly. it's a bit drier in the British version. Yeah, they took the bare they took the bare bones of what was the British version, Americanized it, and it was a huge hit here too when it got the culture shift. There's nothing wrong with that. The Office was a great show in the in the in the Britain. It's a great show in America, but it was never a sacred cow, mm-hmm. and so that was a perfectly fine version uh the sticking with tv the hannibal series that you know yeah. was a greatly acclaimed didn't great great uh, viewings but was a great show oh yeah clearly based off the thomas harris novels uh, leading up to silence of the lambs and so forth was that such a sacred cow i think redoing the silence of the lambs certainly is a bad idea but the characters themselves and taking them into different ideas nothing wrong with that That's so right. long as you do it well Remakes fail, I think, for a couple of, of very specific reasons. We've already touched on a few of them here, but the biggest thing that I keep coming back to and that goes beyond that's not just the taking on a film that has such reverence. I think that's a very big one, and I'm oh, yeah. glad that you've pointed it out so much. I think the other thing that makes them fail is that they are used in a gimmicky, cash-grabbing kind of way. Yeah. And what I mean by that is they'll aim for a cheap grab, like overblowing the action a little bit, trying to really double down on the action or doubling down on the humor too much, Um, doubling down on elements that are outside of good storytelling and putting things together, trying to rely on the cast that you've assembled and banking on their charisma and their talents to carry you through what might be pretty poor storytelling and writing that's been put together. Using the stars as a gimmick or a crutch or using action as a crutch, using comedy as a crutch, it is not going to work with these remakes. That's what a lot of those those poor ones or those okay ones that we mentioned do is that they try to rely on those things too much and they forget what made the source material work was it's good storytelling. It's good cinematography. It's, it's blend of all the good film elements that we talked about in the very first episode of this podcast – that make those films work, and yet they totally lose sight of that. And that's, I think, why remakes fail. Well, another reason that remakes fail is because sometimes what made the original so good are those X factors that they didn't necessarily you know, plan on paper. It just kind of worked out that way. I brought up earlier about Michael J. Fox's absence from the original versions of Back to the Future. Just a real quick backup, those of you that don't know, they filmed half of Back to the Future with Eric Stoltz as Marty McFly before they realized, we have a problem here. You know, he's a very good actor, but he was playing the role as something very serious. Oh, my gosh, I'm stuck in the 50s. Oh, my, oh, geez, it was a crisis. Michael J. Fox's take on it was much more humorous, and that's what the movie needed. Had they continued with Eric Stoltz, it wouldn't have worked. And so they knew that. They recast the role, and Michael, they reshot all the scenes, and then the other ones, and Michael J. Fox was a huge part of what made Back to the Future go. So let's say, for argument's sake, Lord forbid, they wanted to remake Back to the Future. We got the same car. We're going to use the same sets. That's awesome. Is Christopher Lloyd going to do Doc Brown? Because nobody could do it like he did. Are you going to get a Michael J. Fox? Nobody, I don't care how talented they are, could bring that in. So many people have it so ingrained, for one, and it is a sacred cow. Leave it alone. 
Um, and there's even been rumors about that one, although Spielberg himself said, not while I'm alive. That's never going to happen. Which, thank God for Spielberg. But there are those intangibles that you can't think about, whether it was a performance, if they ever redid uh, Ferris Bueller. Matthew Broderick owned that movie. He did. Unless you're going to – did you watch it finally? Oh, I did. You're like, okay, good. Um, we He owned that movie. You could not find somebody who was too cool for school to have the right amount of smarm yet charm to make it work. And if you tried to recapture lightning in a bottle, usually you just get zapped. I didn't even make that up. It just kind of came off the tongue. And I it came pretty, pretty well, yeah. That's pretty good. You're pretty good at radio. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> You do a decent job. Yeah. Uh, I'll put it to you this way. I brought up a line before. When you're thinking about remakes, it's a line I'm paraphrasing from Jurassic Park. Um, uh, Jeff Goldblum's character says, you were so impressed with the technology that you could have that nobody stopped for an instant to think whether you should have. And that is a key behind-the-scenes question that should be asked before you ever even attempt a remake, reconceptualization, reboot, whatever you want to phrase it as. You think long and hard about this before you go down that path, because then there's a couple hundred million dollars down the drain like the producers of The Mummy are learning about. Right. You've got to find your piece of originality. You've got to find your own idea for a good story. And you've got to make sure that it is something that is fresh enough that will bring people in and is not just going to be walking down the same path again, maybe even shot for shot yeah. in some cases. You've got to find your own foothold and your own bit of thinking and and planning behind the way that this new one's going to work or it's or it's not going to work and it's not going to come off the way that you would want it to and it's just going to end up soiling what what is a great name in in some cases with these movies is that you've got this great name that's attached to it now you're going to attach what might be a pretty poor film to it you've got to make sure that you have something new and fresh that you're going to provide to to that line of thinking with well, that movie. We brought it up earlier. Here's a great example. One of the great we'll just go horror route real quick. One of the great horror movies that exist is Halloween. John Carpenter's 1978. It's a classic. It really is. It's very simple, but it works. It really does. And then you went down the sequel route, and some of them were okay, and some of them were really not okay. And then they did the whole reboot thing. We're going to basically redo the original. Hey, eh, not so good. Well, now they're doing whatever. I'm not sure how to classify this yet because I don't think we're far enough down the road to really be able to classify it. They're doing it again. The talk is that it's going to be more of a direct sequel to the original and just kind of overpaint the sequels that yeah. came before. How, whatever you want to describe it as. So when you're talking about the franchise, oh, the original's great, but then there was a couple of things, and then you got this, and then there was a reboot with forgetting about. You don't want to be the forget about. If you're going to spend the time and effort and money to make something, you better entertain the people, and you better bring something good to it. King Kong, the Peter Jackson version, people are going to remember it because it was good. It was three way too long hours of good. But it was still good. Yeah. It brought something it new. Right. Yeah. I, if yeah. I, but I have to invest that time. I'm like, do I want to sit here for three Correct. hours? Yeah. Usually no. But still, it's good. Let's let's close with this, Dave. Where do you think remakes are heading? And where do you hope remakes are going? The wrong way. They really are. You know, there's, there's just too much hmm. emphasis on it. Like I said, there are some instances that I don't think are remakes, where you're talking about James Bond, or you're talking about a comic book hero that's been around for 100 years. There is no such thing as a remake with that. It's just the right. next chapter. It's the next version of it. No problems here. Make Batman and Bond to death. Bring back Indiana Jones if you want. But uh, you got to think about that as well. So if you're going to think about, and let's cross into reboots here real quick, at some point, and we might be to this point, they're already talking about an Indiana Jones 5. Harrison Ford is about 80 years old. Now, they worked his age into the plot of the last one, but it was a horrible movie. It just wasn't that good. And it wasn't because Harrison Ford was too old. He could still bring it. That movie was 10 years ago. He was 10 years younger, and even then he was an old guy. At some point, he's going to break his hip. Wait a minute. He did that on the set of Star Wars, That's didn't he? That's right. He's yeah. going to do that jumping off of the truck with the Germans or Nazis or Russians or whatever the bad guys will be. At some point, you got to say the party's gone on too long. It's time to restart. But sometimes you got to think hard about whether we should. Yeah. So that's something to be really, very wary of. And I know they're talking about it, but you really got to think quick. And I think there was talk about bringing in uh, Chris Pratt as like a younger version hmm. with Harrison Ford as sort of a beginning and end wraparound, thinking back to some previous adventure. Interesting. That would be cool. That would be that would be interesting to see in theory being put together if done right. Here's here's what I see coming up. I see 
filmmakers getting more and more ambitious of what projects they want to take on and what they want to try to do as far as remakes are concerned. We've already seen this with Ben Hur. If they if this if this director said he wants to make a run at Memento, decides to do no. that, we're going to see I think there's going to be more and more of that. The directors who want to try to take a stab at these classics and try to see if they can if they can make it for a new generation and in a new time. And it's going to be disappointing if that is the route that we go because I want to see good original storytelling. You think about why these these films are being remade. So many of these, the reason why they want to remake them is because their source material was great. You know, that's, that is the weird irony of what the, the guy who was tied into the possible Memento project in the future said is that it, it, he said the reason why he wanted to make a run at it was because it is such a classic film. It is a classic which, film, which I which I s- scratched my head at, and I said, "It's classic because it's fresh and it's new. It's not even Remakes twenty years old. Away. It came out in two thousand ninety nine, something like that. It's not even twenty years old, and they want to remake it. It's like it's like the, how many Spider Mans have there been now in just the last fifteen years? You had Tobey Maguire, then they rebooted it with Andrew Garfield, and now they're rebooting it again to bring it into the Marvel comic universe." You know, so if they're going to tell the same origin story three times in a 15-year span, that's dumb. You yeah. know, I just saw this movie 10 years ago and 10 years before that. Why are we doing this again? Give me something different. If you want to go down the memento route and you want to update it for the new generation, I think they made that movie at the time so that you could watch it today. And if you had no idea anything about the movie existed, you might think it was a new movie because it wasn't really what I would call dated. It could have been set at any point. So if you want to go down a similar route, somebody with amnesia trying to figure something out and his cousin so-and-so from the pre something to tie it into the original, okay, fine, go that route. But don't touch something that can't be done better than it was the first time. If you can't improve on it, leave it alone. Yeah, it just, I don't see what the point is, and yet I think we're going to get a lot of it this as is we what, start going down the line. Here's the perfect example. A lot of the people that go on to do something that think they can do a better job are exactly a synonym of the drunk guy at the frat party that thinks, I could totally jump from this rooftop to this rooftop, and he winds up in pieces in the yard below holding on to his severed leg. You think you can do it does not mean you can do it. You better think real long and hard about before you go jump from rooftop to rooftop or try to redo a movie that is so ingrained in the minds of people that if you even attempt it, goodbye. Bottom line, originality is still very valued. We value originality in the movies. We we love originality. Hopefully the future will show that as well. Well, I'm hearing that the train got through, so I think Rick and Nick are on their way, so we better wrap this up. Rick and Nick Talk Flicks is sponsored by the Bemidji Theater. Stop on by, see a movie at the Bemidji Theater. Great place to go catch a film and so many great ones to see and a lot of good ones that are in right now. I know I'm certainly going to be going there here very soon to go see Wonder Woman. Not just the movies. I mean, you can get a whole crew of uh, bad movies come out. It's still a good experience at the Bemidji Theater. They really take pride in what they do there. Absolutely. I'm Joel Hoover. I'm Dave Brooks. Thanks for joining us at the movies. Depending on whether there's trains crossing again, we may or may not be back for Rick and Nick. We'll see you at the movies regardless. 